18 of Matthew. Uh, we're going to come close to closing out this chapter, but not quite. In fact, I'm going to stop in kind of what may seem like a weird spot to stop in. It may seem kind of like, like mid-narrative, um, but the reason is because I am the long-winded one, and we do love our Sunday school volunteers. So, um, so I, I, can't, I can't take everything that's here. So Brent's going to come back in where I stop, and he's going to finish this narrative uh, next week. But I think it'll make sense. I think it'll make sense. So uh, 19, you're all familiar with this story of this young man, right? Um, verse 16, and we're going to go ahead and read it. Um, and I think we're, we're going to go to 26. That's where we're going to go and stop, okay? Let's read it. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Behold, a man came up to him, Jesus that is, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible. Um, it is generally true that in this life, um, things are made easier on multiple levels for the wealthy. Oh, how we hate them. There's some of you in here. We don't hate you. You guys are all right. But uh, it's, it's generally true. I mean, what's the saying? Like, money, money talks, right? If you possess it, it makes things in life happen. It allows you to attain and achieve your most current necessities as well as your desires. Money is heavily regarded and accepted as being one's universal passport to everywhere and everything, Thus, it tends to be on some level man's greatest pursuit, and then when he gets it, achievement. There is no doubt that in this world, money opens doors, plain and simple. And yet, in our narrative today, we're about to look at one door it cannot open. In fact, for many, it may just be that which keeps the door, this door, firmly shut to those who love it. Let's remember this first and foremost, right? Money, in and of itself, is not the horrible thing. It is not evil, it is not bad, it is the love, the disposition, our heart toward that thing that creates, that leads us into all kinds of evil. But a lot of times when we have that at some level, it, it can keep this door I, look, I've seen this in my life. Me and Carrie, me and my wife got married really young, right out of high school. Started having kids right away. Um, I had no education, you know what I mean? I was like throwing lumber around. 
and um, we uh, scraped. We did not have any money. I mean, we scraped and scraped. You would look on paper at bills that needed to be paid, and not once, not one month did it make sense that those bills were going to get paid. Um, but somehow, like by the grace of God and by my wife being able to make uh, a penny go a mile, um, bills got paid, and we always had a warm bed and a roof, and there was always food in the cupboard and all that. As years have gone by, um, we've gotten pretty comfortable financially. We don't live like that anymore. Um, and, and we're not rich or wealthy um, by, by any stretch, but like when something breaks, uh, we don't have to think about how we're going to do this thing. We just go and do what needs to be done. We live extremely comfortable, and there is no doubt that with that, our, our dependence on God has softened in ways. We were way closer on many levels in our relationship with God um, in those days of famine um, because he's all we had to make sure that anything happened. And now we can just go to our bank account or open our wallet to make those things happen instead of open uh, a, a dialogue with God on our knees and pleading. So we get this. We get that this is a real a real thing that goes on. And uh, this dude's wealthy. He's coming to Jesus, and um, he's set up. This dude's set up. But what's interesting about this, even though this guy is set up, is that um, even though he's wealthy, financially set, has everything he needs, he's still interested in knowing that he has also what comes next. He's still interested in knowing that he has eternal life. This is why he comes to Jesus, and this is kind of interesting. A lot of times when you meet really, really wealthy people that are set up, that's, that's all that matters is that they're set up, they got what they need now, and they're just going to enjoy that. Who cares about what comes next? Like, things are rocking, you know? But this dude cares. This dude wants to be not just set up now, but also um, in the next life. And so we read in 16 and 17, this man comes to Jesus saying, Teacher, what, must good deed, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So, um, so he approaches Jesus and he inquires of him the answer to this question, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Emphasis, what must I do? What must I do? So this guy's an earner. And we know that he's an earner because he's wealthy. I mean, this guy in his young life has probably already gone out and accomplished for himself more than most people accomplish in their entire lives, right? This guy, like, he, he's, he's no stranger to, to looking at something and going, I want that, and then going and getting that. And so he's approaching this, he's approaching Jesus the same way with this question, right? Um, that, that, that being thinking that he can get to heaven by doing something. That he can get to heaven by doing something, by accomplishing something, by earning something, by perfecting something. It's a confident guy. It's a confident fella. Now he addresses Jesus as teacher, which is uh, rabbi. And he's right in thinking that Jesus is someone special. Right? Like, like he's, he's right in thinking that Jesus is someone special enough to ask him this type of question. But he's wrong in his identification of Jesus that he's just a teacher, that he's just a, a rabbi, uh, which is what prompts Jesus to direct the conversation in the way that he does by responding, why do you ask me about what is good? 
Why do you ask me about what is good? Or another way to say this, what's really being said along with this, is why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? For there is only, Jesus goes on to say, for there is only one who is good. Notice his response. Notice his answer. And who's being implied in that answer? There's only one who is good. Who's being implied? God, right? Now, let me start by saying this. By Jesus answering this way, he's not denying, he's not denying that he is God. He's not interested in this interaction with this guy in giving him a lesson on the Trinity, on the Godhead, okay? Um, He's interested in addressing this young man's comment concerning who or what is good. That's what Jesus is dealing with here. And having said that, go ahead and underline this verse, both for yourself and for others that you may be talking to soon. Because we do this all the time. So-and-so is such a good person. So-and-so has such a good heart. And, and I, know how, I know how we mean it when we say it. We mean it uh, contextually um, as far as human to human, right? So we mean it in the sense that someone has like a really good quality like gentleness or kindness or patience and we go, that, that's a really good person. I, I get uh, how, how we mean it, but like Jesus, like if you said this around him, he probably wouldn't have approved of it. He probably wouldn't have approved of it. We say, um, so, uh, uh, why, do ba- why do bad things happen to good people? And you know what? That only happened once, and it's to the guy that's talking here. He volunteered for it. He signed up for that bad thing to happen to him, but he's the only one ever who stepped foot on this planet who's good. And, and, and in a sense, this is kind of what the lesson he's giving this guy it's like, what do, what do you mean by calling people? What, why do you just throw around the, the word good? Why do you think that I'm good, right? This is kind of what he's doing. So by responding this way, Jesus is in effect saying to this man, either I'm not good or I'm God. That's actually uh, basically layered in what his response is. Um, but he's also saying the one who is good has already told us what to do to enter eternal life. He's already given us instructions, right? So why are you coming and asking me for something else? Why are you looking for something other than what you already know has been given to you, right? That being how Jesus, of course, follows up here by by saying, if you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. How does this sound to you guys? All right. There's a plain and direct answer that Jesus gives this man, it's a correct answer. It's actually the right answer to give to anybody who might ask you, what must I do to be saved? And I know that that sounds kind of weird and that sounds kind of harsh, but not if you're Ray Comfort. We'll probably like come back. Have you guys ever watched this guy? We'll come back to him, all right? Um, he's, he's worth coming, coming back to. But like, really, when someone approaches you and says, what must you do to be saved? This is actually a great way to step into that conversation. It's to say, well, God, God's given us the Ten Commandments. Just go perform them, you know, because that's, that's really what we're looking at. And Jesus does that to this guy. Um, now, let's see real quick how you guys have learned to differentiate during our time in Matthew uh, between the law and the gospel. What's Jesus giving this guy in this response? Law. He's giving him law, not gospel. 
His answer is law, not gospel. Because by Jesus answering him like this, he's telling him to do something that, um, that is required, but that at the same time he knows it's incapable of doing. You want something to do? Go do this. That's what he's saying. Just, just be good like God is basically what Jesus is telling this guy. Like, that's what his answer is. So, so here's what we have in a nutshell so far from Jesus to this guy. Only one is good. That's God. Um, so do what he told you to do. Keep the commandments. Okay? God's the only one good. Here's what you got to do to have eternal life. Keep the commandments. Okay? 18 and 20. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your, mother, your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. Like, like what do I uh, still lack? So this, guy's a, this guy, again, he's a, he's a pretty confident little fella, this, this guy, right? He, he's making a heavy claim. This is a heavy claim, right? And that claim is that he has aced the test, He's aced the test. So Jesus gives him this test consisting of six of the Ten Commandments, and this guy thinks that he passes it. Now, question. Uh, my brain goes this way. Why six? Um, why not all ten? Why did he just give him six? And um, I, I, I have an idea about why Jesus does this, but you're going to have to wait. We'll come back to it. So, so Jesus tells him, like, um, that he needs to keep the six that are mentioned, and, and the dude's response is like, oh yeah, I've kept these. Like, been there, done that, bought the shirt, right? Um, which is a ridiculous response uh, on multiple levels, but let's just, just deal with the most obvious one. Uh, perfection. Perfection. This dude's basically claiming to have perfected these six, um, because um, when Jesus says, um, keep these, and he says, I kept these, I want you to know that they weren't doing what a lot of us do, where we have the list, the standard next to us, and we look at it, and we use it as a guideline, and they're kind of in our crosshairs sometimes, and we try to do them, but we fail, but we think that because we try to do them at times, and we see them, and we keep them there in our lives, um, that that means keep. But when Jesus says keep, he means actually fulfilling. And that's what this guy's actually claiming, is that he has, he has kept perfectly, he has fulfilled perfectly um, these six. By the way, this is why people end up in hell. This is why people end up in hell. Hell is for good people. Heaven is for sinners only. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? And don't get me wrong, we have a shirt, some of you have seen it at the door, we made a shirt years ago, because um, I thought it would be kind of cute, like something that would be a conversation starter, and it just says sinners only. Um, and if you just look at that, you could, it, you could get the wrong impression. Um, Pastor Brent was one of those ones that's like, I don't know if I like this shirt, you know, because of what it looks like. And, um, and what it, what, what, the sinners only doesn't mean that because we've been saved by grace and Jesus hung on the cross for us and paid everything and we're fully forgiven, we can now just walk around like messy, sloppy Christians doing whatever the heck we want, living however we want to, because after all, we're just sinners only. That's not what it means. It means that, that heaven will only be populated at the end, by those who know that they're a sinner. That's it. And hell will be populated by those who thought they were not. And that's where this guy comes in. That's really kind of what we, what we see here with this dude. 
So um, as ridiculous as this guy's answer was, I really don't think this guy was trying to lie. I, I just, I know that's a weird statement. It really doesn't matter. Um, I, I really don't get the impression when I read this that this dude was trying to lie about keeping the commands. I, I, I just think he was ignorant about what perfection really is. I think he was really convinced in his, in his mind that he had kept those things. And this is where you're kind of like, gosh, where's Ray Comfort when you need him? You know what I mean? So if you've gone on YouTube and you've watched Ray Comfort, he's basically an Australian dude. And, and it's just, it's, wor it's worth it just to hear his accent, okay, alone. Like it's rad listening to this dude talk. Um, but he, like this dude's a full-on evangelist. He loves people. Right, and so he has a channel where he just goes—he just goes with a camera and a microphone, like out into public, into public places, and just tells people, like strangers, like, "Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Can I ask you a couple questions?" It's like super bold. It's one of those things that you and I would most of us never do, okay? And yet he goes out and he and he does this, and he starts off with like, "If you were to die today, where would you go, heaven or hell?" Right? And people are like, "Well, heaven," and he'd be like, "Why?" And they're like, "Because I'm not—I'm not Hitler, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer." You know, I like, I, 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 I'm basically pretty good, you know? And he's like, well, you take a test with me. And they're like, yeah, I'll take your test. And he, then he just works his way, like, through the Ten Commandments, right? And, um, and people think they're good until he, he blows them wide open and, and lets these people know that if, if you have anger in your heart, that's murder. And if you have lust in your heart, then that's uh, adultery. And, and then, so they get to the end, he's like, okay, so how did you do? And they're like, I don't know, I think I did okay. You know, probably, you know, messed up on maybe five or six of these, you know. And he goes, so like having said that, like, but actually I need to read this because this is the best part. The student always ends by giving back to them what they admitted to, right? So he'll say something like this. So by your own self-admission, uh, you, you're a thieving, lying, murderous, adulterer at heart. Uh, and so, having admitted that, let me ask you this. If you were to die today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? And uh, they all go like, like, hell, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, hell, I guess. You know, you just told me uh, I was bad. And that's what Ray Comfort would have done to this dude. You know what I mean? That day. He, he, he would have done that. But, um, but Jesus doesn't. This is weird. Jesus doesn't. He lets him have it. He gives him his claim of perfection, and of law-keeping, right? He, 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 doesn't like, he doesn't like deconstruct and dismantle this guy's self-righteousness um, in this thing. He gives, it, he gives it to him. And so the guy continues like, yeah, I've done all that. What else do I need to do? Like, what's, what's next? What do I still lack? Like, hit me with another. And Jesus does, okay? Uh, 21, 22, Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had um, great possessions. And it is here that we see why Jesus plays along with this guy's claims of righteousness, his law-keeping claims. And that is because Jesus' intention was to destroy this kid in an area of unrighteousness that he knows he would not be able to argue with or ignore. And that's his possessions. That's his possessions. Um, it would be a, a punch that this dude could not block and could not dodge, right? And as a result, he knows it. He goes away um, sorrowful. Do you know what I hate more than anything else? The dentist. Um, I'm sure they aren't, I'm the only one. And I went a couple weeks ago to do just a checkup. It was like, um, 
like a cleaning and some x-rays. And one of the first things they do is they, they have you open, open your mouth. Look, I don't think I'm a sissy, by the way. Like, I think I actually have, like, a pretty good threshold for pain. But, like, even the, even the thought of maybe pain happening in my mouth, I'm a total sissy. And so, like, they do that thing at the beginning where they're like, open your mouth. We're going to kind of go through and check your teeth real quick. Tell me how it feels. And they take the pokey thingy, and they start going from, like, tooth to tooth. And they're like, how's that? How's that? Right? And, and, and you're like, good. Like, good, good, until it's not. Until you feel the lightning bolt. And, and it's like, ouch, right? And I feel like th that's what Jesus is doing. This. That's what Jesus just did to this kid. He, he's going, how's this? And the kid's like, good, good, good. And then he hits, he hits this other one. He's like, ouch. That, that one, that one uh, hurt, right? Um, and, and then he uses the word perfect. If you would be perfect, which is really interesting. And I think the reason he uses this is because, number one, this young dude thought he was. He thought he was. And number, number two, because that is what's required for eternal life. We've kind of touched on this. I want to say it again because I feel like a lot of people that have been in church all of their lives do not get this. I think that we actually think a standard of 100% righteousness 100% of the time is ridiculous. So we think, well, God doesn't really mean that. He means that I should just try the best that I can and if my good outweighs my bad with, with, with law-keeping, he'll let me in. And that's a lie. That is not true. God absolutely requires 100% righteousness 100% of the time. And this is why you and I are in trouble. This is why the human race, apart from Christ, is in trouble. We are in trouble on our own. We are in trouble if we think that we can do this thing and earn this thing and perform this thing. We're busted. We cannot, we will not. Perfection, people, perfection is the standard. Perfection is the secret password that opens the door to the throne room of God. Perfection. Right? Jesus says, you want, you, want to, you want to do something? You want to do something else to earn eternal life? Uh, offload your wealth and come and follow me. This is what he tells him. Offload your wealth, come and follow me. In other words, do the one thing, do the one thing that I know you can't do and you're not willing to do, and then you can have it. Then you can have it. And it is here that lies the hard truth about this narrative for every single one of us in this room this morning. Every one of us. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how rich we are, no matter how poor we are, we all possess this one thing somewhere in our life on some level that we are unwilling and unable to part with, just like this guy, right? That, that thing that would absolutely kill us if Jesus pointed it out to us and put his thumb on it. Again, most of us, I don't know about you, like, I was feeling pretty good when I saw that this text landed on me. Like, I was feeling pretty good about it because it's like, I'm not rich, so there's not going to be a lot of conviction and a lot, a lot of, like, weirdness. It's like, we, we all know that, like, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. Like, he, he, uh, he speaks in layers, um, and he knows how to say exactly uh, what, will, what will pull our clothes off and expose us fully uh, before God, and that's what he's, he's doing here. See, this, this text is not so much about money, is it? 
The, uh, it, it's at this point we start to realize this text isn't so much about being rich. It's about being idolaters. And I'm in trouble. And you're in trouble. Idolatry, the word sounds a lot like adultery, doesn't it? A lot. And that makes sense because they both imply a mistress being involved in a primary relationship. Which brings us back to this commandment thing. I told you I would get back to it. Jesus lists this, the last six commandments to this guy. And if you know, the last six commands deal with how we interact and live with others. The first four commandments deal with this relationship, this vertical relationship between us and God. The last six is between us and others around us, right? Um, so, so Jesus didn't mention, in my opinion, the first four then because he knew that it would be the nail in the coffin with this kid now. He knew they'd be the final blow. And what's the first commandment? What's the first commandment? You shall have no other God besides me. This dude just failed it. And he knew it. He knew it. What was this confident, accomplished man's response? It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, for he had great love for his possessions. He had great love for his possessions. Idol revealed, first commandment, broken. How did he do? Failed. He failed. Uh, in other words, he knew full well that he had failed to keep the first commandment. So he walks away sorrowful because he broke it, but it's also because he discovered the one thing his mistress, his mistress, his real God, is unable to give him that his money cannot buy. Right? So... Um, he kind of simultaneously discovered that he valued his possessions more than um, eternal life, as well as the fact that he wasn't perfect. He discovered who his greatest God was, and the irony is that it's God who exposed him. It's God who exposed him. Uh, verses 23 and 24 gets a little more interesting. Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, Jesus says. Um, that statement would have sounded a little different 2,000 years ago than it does to us. I think we look at it and we go, oh, it's kind of a cute analogy and um, we get it. You know, it, It's something that that basically reinforces an impossibility of this thing happening, and it does. It absolutely does, but the truth is, like, when these guys heard it back then, it would have been actually a comedic statement. It, it would have been something that they probably even would have chuckled at, which is kind of weird because this is heavy. This dude's just walked, I mean, he's just been sent away packing, you know what I mean, sorrowful, and then Jesus kind of cracks a joke. It's, it's, it is lighthearted. But uh, it also does imply for sure that this is an impossibility. Like this isn't some, so, so like if we were to, if we were to like, let me say this. Um, this is a, maybe a bonus. 
How many of you heard that, that the, the, the eye of the needle is the little window next to the main gates to the temple yard? You guys ever heard that? Like if you go looking like Jew, Jewish scholars, I think a lot of Calvary Chapel guys, even if you come out of Calvary Chapel background, they go this way with it. And it sounds kind of neat, like culturally, like, culturally, like oh, that's, that's kind of cool. That's, that's eye-opening. And what it was is, and it's true, they would have in a couple of the gates to the, the entrance gates to the temple yard, they would have these little windows, almost like little peak windows. And I guess they would maybe refer to it as the eye of a needle. And just the thought of like taking your camel through that to get into the temple yard was absurd. But this, this account is in all of the synoptic gospels. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And in Luke's gospel, he actually, the word for needle, he actually directly um, um, correlates it to a medical instrument. So it doesn't seem like necessarily it's this little window box, but it's actually what we would think it is, like something really small, like something impossibly small, something that makes absolutely no sense. And, and so Jesus is kind of like, he's saying, yeah, this is absolutely impossible, but he's also kind of cracking a joke. Like it would kind of sound like today for us, like it would be easier for a car to drive through the middle of a toilet paper roll. You know what I mean? For, than for this to happen, right? He's kind of he's being lighthearted that way, um, which is interesting. But it's an impossibility, and the disciples rightly understand, right, whether they laugh or not, that this is an impossibility, that that's the point that Jesus is making. But they even take it one step further. Look at 25, 26, our last two verses. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the response when, when Jesus cracks this joke isn't, wow, you're right. Like there's no way someone that has money can be saved. Their, their response is, who at all? Who at all? If these people can't be saved, who at all can be saved? Which I think is different than the way that you and I would tend to look at this, this text. So not just the rich, but who, period, can be saved. And the reason they went this way with it is because in their day, if you had a rich countryman or a wealthy Jew, you were looking at, um, at someone who, in their minds, um, were more apt to be received by God, not less. And the reason is because if you had money, it meant that that was more money that could go into the temple system. It meant that it was more money that could be paid out in alms to the poor. It meant that there was more money where you could get better sacrifices in the temple yard for your atonement sacrifices that were going on in the temple. Do you see what I'm saying? So money actually um, got you more favor with God because you could put it toward God things. That's actually how they how they thought back in the day. Um, very interesting, a little bit backwards from what you and I may think. Um, so, so the rich were not looked at as having a handicap to God. They were actually looked at as having an advantage to God. Thus, if it's an impossibility for the rich to enter the kingdom in their minds, it's a greater impossibility for anybody else, for the rest of us to enter, the average commoner, Response then, who then can be saved? In their minds, nobody can enter. And it is here once again that the narrative continues to go from being about wealthy people, from being about money, to being about the human race. Everybody. Each of us. All of us. And this is confirmed in the response that Jesus gives. Yes. He agrees with them. He agrees with their response. He agrees with their evaluation of what he's just said. Yes, 
with man, any man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I think Jesus is this, this verse is here. I praise God that this verse is here. There is no doubt that this is one of the greatest, most comforting, most relieving, most hope-giving statements that we have. The law-breaking, idolatrous sinner in the entirety, the entirety of Scripture. You want a life verse? Look no for, for, further. Stick this on your fridge. You know what I mean? Stick this all over your house. Look at this every day. With man, it is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Um, and, and, and the reason this is so good, and the reason we should look at this verse every day is because Jesus is no longer speaking law. He's speaking gospel. This is gospel. This statement by Jesus takes us out from under the law that he just gave to this young man. What must I do? Oh, here's some stuff to go do. And, and it sets us firmly on something better. That's why we call it gospel. That's why it's called gospel. Gospel means good news. What Jesus gave this, this, this young ruler when he walked away is not. He, he took that dude and he put more rocks, more boulders into that dude's backpack and then sent him off. Heavier. More weighed down. The gospel reaches in and it takes rocks out of the bag. It liberates us. It frees us. It lightens us. That's how we can know when we see it. It's it's totally different. We know it's the gospel because Jesus is not saying do. He's saying done. He's saying done. This This tips us off to when Jesus is speaking law or speaking gospel. One says do, the other says done, right? Uh, He's speaking of that which rescues us from the law of go do, go do, go do some more, and then when you're done with all that, come back and we'll figure out some more for you to do, right? There's always more to do, people. I fight with this still every day. My default is not everything's been paid in full, you are free. My default is always law. What do I got to go do for God today so that he'll receive me? And then I live under that weight until at some point I finally wake up and go, oh, wait a minute, like, Jesus made this thing possible. Like, that's not, that's not for me. That's for me. That's not what I have to do. He went and did this, right? We fight, we fight with this within ourselves all the time. He's speaking hope. He's speaking hope to us, um, not condemnation. In fact, consider this for a second. This dude's already walked away, right? Jesus is just standing there now with his disciples. But consider in the statement that Jesus just made that he's even speaking hope for that rich young ruler who just walked away. Like, this this thing's in the cooker that Jesus is going to do. He's going to go to the cross for the sins of the world, right? He's, He's going to do it as one who has completely fulfilled perfectly the law of God on our behalf. Then he's going to be buried in a tomb which he will vacate and then ascend to the right hand of God where he's over all things because he accomplished righteousness for people like you and me. Even for this rich young ruler who just went away sorrowful. Who knows? This dude might be there. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. What this verse doesn't mean is that you can leap over tall buildings in a single bound. There's two verses 
uh, that are heavily abused and misused and thrown around in our scriptures, one of them being this, with God all things are possible, the other one being I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean that you can go and be or do whatever you want, whatever impossible feat that you think that you can rise to or have a desire to perform because Christ is going to make sure that you see it through. We're talking specifically here about man's deficit with the law, righteousness before God by earning it, impossible. But wait a minute, God's going to make it possible for man to be righteous before God. That's what this is saying, right? With man, salvation is impossible. With God, for us, it's been made possible. It's fully possible. For he has provided a way through Jesus, the good teacher, who is and was God with us, God among us, God making up the difference for you and I, God redeeming us, God receiving us, God saving us, God purchasing us, God recovering us from ourselves when all seemed lost. When we were yet in our sins, when we were yet out whoring around with our idols, our mistresses, when we were still cheating on God, when we were still committing adultery on Him, our Creator, the Righteous One, while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He came to recover us while we were still unwilling even to be recovered. Think about that. I hope you're seeing this as we go through Matthew. I I hope you're starting to see the difference between the use of the law and what it does and the use of the gospel and what it does. They are not the same, but they are both necessary to bring us to him. We must know that we have a problem if we're going to go to the solution of that problem. We must know that we're sinners, and this is why heaven, Christ, eternal life, is for sinners only. It's for sinners only. The law has its place because it is meant to kill us. It is meant to destroy us and send us away sorrowful, like this young man, while the gospel is there to call us back joyful. This is the difference, to bring us near, secure, right? Um, So we are now, because of what Christ did, because of the gospel, uh, a camel now, if you will, may fit through the eye of a needle, right? God has made that possible. Bottom line is this. We'll close here. You, me, um, none of us in this room today are saved because we left all of our idols to follow Jesus. We are saved because God, in the person of the Son, hung on the cross and paid in full for even our idolatry. That's why we're here. This table is here to remind us of that. This table is here to call us back. Some of you may have boulders in your bag again because we're really good at doing this. We're really good at being like this guy. If you didn't realize, we, we are this guy in this story, even though you may not have a, a, a big bank account or, or, or a big stack, you know what I mean, in your wallet. You are this guy. Right, and But what the table does is it calls us back over and over again to let us know that it is Jesus, not what we can earn, not what we can do, that's the difference maker. The only reason that I have anything with Christ and any hope ahead with God is because of what Jesus 
did for me while I was yet against him. And it's true for you too. His blood, which is a righteous blood, in my place, his body, which is a righteous body, in my place, all because of his righteous life for us, Christ for us. Just think that. When you come to this table, this screams not what you can do for God, or I've got to get myself together now. I've got to worthy up so that I can go and have the, the body and blood of Christ. No, this is why you have anything with God is because of what Christ did. Christ for you. Christ for you. And in that, what did he say? It's finished. It's finished. You don't have to put rocks back in your bag anymore. You don't have to crawl back to the lawn and go, gosh, I got some making up to do because I've kind of blown it over here and, and so I'm going to offer God some stuff out of the law. No, no, that's an insult to what Christ did. Christ finished it all. He paid it in full. That's why there's a room full of saints sitting here and not sinners. Right? Positionally. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. Thank you for being the perfect law keeper. Thank you that your, that your love is not conditioned upon what we're able to perform or, or, or us even coming to you and seeing you as valuable first. I thank you, God, that before I even gave you a thought, you saw me and you knew me as yours. And I, and I pray that we would be amazed, God, again, by that, that you made, you took something impossible and made it possible, and we're the benefactors of that. We, we, we just praise you for that today, God. And so I, I pray that people would be refreshed and renewed in their mind and their heart towards you as they come and see you for us and participate in you for us right now. And we ask it to your glory. Amen.